Previously, on Mandatory Redistribution Party. Visit North Korea. Fuck. Because I'd love to know the story behind... Visit North Korea? Well, they must have a link to the actual North Korean state. And yet... Of course they do. ...be themselves 20-something irony-poisoned... Like, it's like a dream job, isn't it? To make <laughs> memes for North Korea. And the whole internet is going, is this? What is this? Is this legit? <laughs> yeah. but, is- but she's saying to Thanos, did you travel to North Korea? Thanos says, yes. She says, what did it cost? And he says, just 475 euros for an ultra-budget tour. <laughs> That's um, Gamora, Thanos' adopted child from, right. from a, a planet he destroyed. Like, but I don't think it's actually her. I think it's like a phantom in his mind. Like, it's a it's a manifestation of his own guilt for murdering her. We should approach them for an interview. Welcome to the first bonus episode of Mandatory Redistribution Party. We have elected to make this interview a bonus episode, as opposed to a part of the standalone main series, because it's strictly supplemental to episode 14, Pripyat Hut. So if you've not listened to that, then I strongly recommend you do so before going any further. After our conversation about the Facebook page and website Visit North Korea, I managed to track down Tom Foudy, the creator of both the travel agency and the social media page who very kindly agreed to an interview. I have to admit, I was a bit wary about meeting the person behind Visit North Korea and presumed they'd either be a vice media style edgelord, young entrepreneur trying to make money in a controversial way or a full-on authoritarian communist apologist who'd learn to stop worrying and love the regime. However, the person I met was neither and in fact Tom had quite a lot of interesting and thoughtful points to make about the perception of North Korea and the value of trying to humanise a place that is correctly understood to be authoritarian and problematic on many levels. And in doing so, puts a human face on one of the most bizarre travel agencies on the internet. So without further ado, I present Tom Foudy of Visit North Korea. Have you found a lot of people thinking that you're the business is actually a joke or not engaging with it as a business because they think it's a prank? Oh, yeah, we get this kind of thing every single day. You know, every single day, there's always a comment or a message saying, hey, is this satire or a real pitch? And, you know, I completely get it because um, it's bizarre and it's unique. And obviously, it's such a niche here and abnormal travel, you know, venture that it's hard for the average person to take that seriously. Yeah, and I'd I'd also say that that's maybe compounded by the memes that you put out. It's not treated like a normal travel agent Facebook page as well. It's Because when I first saw it, you were putting out those Thanos memes. 
Yeah, that they went like extreme yeah. in terms of their reach. I think that's how I found out about them because, I mean, I have to ask, like, when you're advertising for uh, the Democratic Republic of North Korea, and you're mm-hmm. you're using Thanos to do it, who is demonstrably like an evil antagonistic <laughs> character of a famous Marvel <laughs> franchise. That to me was like this must be a a joke because surely you, you'd pick Spider Man or Captain America or someone who isn't trying to destroy half the universe as the spokesperson for yeah. your travel agency. Yeah, I completely get it. I mean, there wasn't an intended message in using Thanos apart from the fact that. After Avengers Endgame came out, <clears throat> Thanos had created himself into several very popular memes. And just by experience, we found that memes people already familiar with yeah. were the ones which were getting the most traction. You know, you see a successful meme template and people are going to be more receptive to it rather than the gamble of trying to invent your own because it doesn't always have work so I, you know there were no more connotations behind that other than the fact that people knew what it was and i mean we have used other marvel characters too if you scroll back you know i do have the, the captain america one the hulk and things but i think it's fair to say that thanos was the uh accidental alchemical mix to send those posts viral oh yeah i understand and someone wrote a news article for a like a web news thing yeah called the daily dot and it had a very similar text to what you came out with. yeah yeah i think it's using the antagonist to market a, a not beloved country of of <laughs> and also on top of like because i've seen that you you will um you know what meme formats are going big and you know how to make that relevant to the tools you're trying to sell but then there are other ones which are like fully antagonistic towards like america or the uk for instance, um, like the first day of school meme, where like first day of school in America is rogue shooter drills, first day of school in the children's palaces and hanging out with Kim Jong-un, mm. or the one where you say that North Korea's never had a terrorist attack. That's like full-on trolling level, I think. that That's heavy impact marketing. Yeah, um, well, well, it wasn't actually me who thought of that. It was one of my... Um, uh, employees or associates who um put those ones out um but you know i wouldn't say they are anti-american sure they are uh, humorous and they obviously are designed for viral marketing value but in the connotation the message itself shouldn't be taken i mean too seriously i mean anyone who knows about north korea in good detail you know knows that let's say our first day of school in north korea isn't quite as you know, all flowers and rosy as what you might imagine it's being, for example. I guess it's just, you know, humorous rather than inherently pushing a serious message in and of itself. Yeah, sure. And I think the joke comes across. It's just striking, especially when you're looking into the page, not sure if it's real. Um, The idea that uh, a travel agency would put this out, you wouldn't get it from like packet holidays from any other uh, Facebook page. And then um, the more recent thing that you managed to get was the um, Red Car Athletic Football Club sponsorship deal. Yeah. What, how were you personally uh, involved in brokering that? Or Yeah, I oversaw this one, and it's actually the second sponsorship deal we did. The first one was for the Northern League football team, uh, Blythe Spartans FC, 
and we paid for an advertising like billboard for that one and that one created news all the way around the world because it was so unprecedented um so i've been the one i mean you know i'm a football fan and i love grassroots football i'm very passionate about it and i want to help small clubs in my area of the country because i'm traditionally from the northeast so you know i contacted these football clubs and you know, I talked about a sponsorship deal and I posed what it was. And obviously, at that level, you're beggars and not choosers when it comes to income and sponsorship. So they were all for it. Was there any like friction or confusion when you like explain that you're a travel agency to North Korea and that they'd have like a flag of the DPRK on their kit? Did you find any tension there? Was that like a tough sell to them? Not at all. In fact, they were quite open about it, um, more than I'd ever, ever conceived that to be. They didn't have any objections or concerns, whatever. I remember, though, when the Blythe Spartans won, when the deal was done, and when it came out, there was some opposition in the media, like the end, like a, a scathing article in the Daily Mail, and it was like Blythe Spartans responds to criticism or visit North Korea things and things like that. Right, so you're getting attacked in like the national press, but the actual football club itself just doesn't really have any qualms with the sponsorship. Yeah, they did. they were fine with it. They thought it was good publicity. Right, because you've um, I think there's a page on your website about trying to strengthen ties between uh, North Korea and the Northeast through football, and you've set up a Sunderland FC fan club. Oh yeah, that Pyongyang. one too. Yeah, that one got some um, eyebrows raised as well. Is it just you, or how how many Sunderland FC fans are there in Pyongyang? Um, well, this is a project we've been endeavouring to work on, and the whole idea of this, it began with me saying, well, I'm going to donate some Sunderland football shirts to, to North Korea and help promote the awareness of the club. And then, surprisingly enough, a representative from Sunderland itself got in touch and said, hey, do you want to open a fan branch in the country? And obviously, you know, the publicity and of that is huge. And it, it, it created another national press story in the UK. But I think it's always worth being mindful, you know, the logistics and the reality of operating in North Korea as a foreigner means to, to get people like to that branch as members in solid terms is very difficult even if you can create a name and following for the club if you get what i mean due to the way the country is organized i'd love to know more about that in more detail like what are the actual practical hurdles of trying to start a sunderland fc fan branch and have signed members in north korea i mean obviously i have the shared awareness of the north korean state but i wouldn't actually know practically what stands in your way um well this is north korea and it's obviously you know things between visitors and the government are subject to what i would say a form of supervision and in a society you know it's a one-party state some might call it totalitarian you know no independent organization is allowed to exist without the um, the government's rule and overseeing. So that limits your autonomy as to what you can set up 
from what you can do in affiliation with the local people. But obviously, a football club, you know, is benign to the point that it's it's not political. So the idea of it is fine, but it's just what they would want. And always having their fingers in every single thing and every single metric, it couldn't be done without their um, approval. So when I suggested to the um, the North Koreans, they always um, shoehorn the idea into some specific objectives. Like they say, can you donate these football shirts to our um, our youth soccer school? Or can you form a direct partnership with Sunland AFC and uh, a local professional football team in Pyongyang? And that, that itself is a great idea, but then they say, oh, can you get Sunderland to, to come and play uh, a North Korean side? And then it's yeah. kind of this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's quite a tall order. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, they are open for cooperation, but it's on their terms and conditions. That's basically what I'm saying. Sure. I guess simple ideas can get lost in bureaucracy and oversight. Of course, yeah. I mean, I guess that's one of the <laughs> things I've found so confusing about the page as well, because I always assumed that in order to even operate as a travel agent, surely you must have the same kind of oversight and the same... Absolutely. So to what degree, like, you you function as a as a private enterprise, but it's directly connected to the North Korean state. So how does that, what, how did you even set that up? How, where does the story begin of someone who left university and then you became a travel agent for North Korea? What, how do you, what's the story? Um, <clears throat> so to explain it, you know, my organization is not owned by North Korea at all. Mm-hmm. They don't have any say in what I do on the outside. But how it works is that you'll have a North Korean travel agent on the inside um, and they will form partners with people on the outside and sell the tour packages and essentially the outside agent is um, working with them to set the itineraries and the programs and bring people in. So obviously you're not owned by them but you have to work in correspondence with them and obviously so if i want to set up an itinerary for example i would write an email to the north koreans and i said want to organize a trip for this particular date for this many days and we want to go and see this 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 and this but then they would have final approval on what i mean they would do their best um because they're nice people on the level of the agency and they're quite friendly and opening and they would do their best to cater to all um, of your requests but not everything is possible but to answer about me on a personal level so I've been traveling to North Korea since um, 2014 and the first um, time I went was on a tour with another company so I was curious about North Korea because this is a country that's constantly making headlines for wrong reasons. It's a, it's a mantra, you know, of mystery, of speculation and endless controversy. And so I get latched onto this idea that I should go and see it upon learning that you actually can because I thought, um, you know, it would be a different experience and you know, I don't know what was going through my mind at the time, because when you don't know anything about it, it's so startling and so frightening. But, you know, I did it anyway. 
And I was so amazed by the experience and what I learned and what I see. I kind of gained this conviction in myself. You know, well, I want to share this with other people. I think people could actually learn something and the world could be a better place through visiting North Korea. So in 2015, that's when I first established that Facebook page you came across called Visit North Korea and began working in partnership to sell tours. Um, I would work with, with established companies to get people in from universities. So I did a university exchange in Hong Kong. I lived in Hong Kong and because it was regionally approximate to make it realistic, you know, you try to market these North Korean tours to students at the university. And at that particular point in time, I had a lot of success. So you just dive deeper into the industry. And over time, you know, the page has grown, its profile has grown and it's came a long way. And, you know, you've done it for so long that it kind of entrenches in you as a normal way of life and sometimes you forget that because you're so used to it but to other people it is so different and so strange and so bizarre but obviously you know i recognize that and that's how i've used that in the marketing of it you know both through facebook memes and through football sponsorship you know marketing that bizarre idea knowing that it's so crazy and so unique that people, you know, are so receptive to hearing about it and, you know, the message gets out on every level. So I've used the, basically what might be a disadvantage as an advantage in pursuing and marketing this company. Yeah, I think you're in a good position in that I feel like if you do anything, it will make national headlines just because it's North Korea. Like as a exactly. as a travel agency, that's kind of that's a blessing. So this all spawned from the idea that you you went there and you found it interesting. You discovered that it was possible to send people there to set, set up a business around that. Is there part of it which is you're trying to like myth bust around the preconceptions of North Korea? A lot of the memes are about you know really trying to reassure people that it is it is safe. They're not going to end up in a a labor camp or prison if they step foot in the country. Yeah. Is it that you're trying to bust the myths around it, or is it that you think this is a country who's had a bit of a bad rep internationally and it needs its image rehabilitating? Um, yeah, I'm trying to, to myth bust. And when you see that in the memes, you know, that is a deliberate, uh, intentional uh, messaging. I think there are a lot of misconceptions about North Korea. Obviously, there are a lot of legitimate concerns about it too. But from the experience, you know, I learned most of all, that North Koreans are human beings and that we shouldn't shun them or isolate them from the world. So my project does see the value in promoting human engagement and exchanges because I think you know, knowledge and understanding might be able to change the way we view each other and the world and be able to address the issues of North Korea in a more objective and less antagonistic light. So yeah, I'm trying to, to myth bust. I mean, I've been there many, many times. I've never had any problems and nobody I've ever gone with on groups have ever had any problems either. And sometimes 
you learn things and you realize that the media hasn't got this right. Um, you get lots of nonsense viral stories about North Korea, saying things such as, oh, North Korea claimed they won the World Cup, everyone has the same haircut, things like that. And it's not true. And it's through meeting and talking with North Koreans uh, that that human element comes in and then you realize this is not really as bad as it's being made out to be. So it's kind of walking that line of North Korea isn't what the the West at large think it is at the same time. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's like, there's plenty to the North Korean state, which um, is very problematic and like, of course, of, yeah. of, of the stuff that I'm a, a, aware of, you know, there's a lot of uh, very significant criticisms to be made of North Korea, but at the same time, the idea that this is a completely brainwashed state, that the, everyone there is just a complete party line person is not true. It is in many ways just a, just a country like any other. It just it just is ruled and overseen in a very idiosyncratic and sometimes troublesome way. I think that's a good way to put it, yeah, because people are people and human beings are human beings. And when in my discussions with North Koreans, you kind of learn something, even though there's things they can't say. You know, there is an underlying consciousness, first of all, about the rest of the world. So, you know, like you said, people are thinking North Koreans are brainwashed and they're deceived. Well, you know, they know more than you think. They ask questions. They, for example, once they asked, who do you think is going to win the election in South Korea? How do you think that's going to go? I mean, that's a very surprising topic from, um, you know, what you would think of North Koreans, for example. Um, they know a lot about football, about the Premier League. And sometimes as well, surprisingly, there's been like an underlying conscious recognition of, you know, problems with their country. They once said, yeah, South Korea is richer more successful country than us. Um, another one once said to me, yes, we know that things are not good at home and that our country is not very wealthy, very developed. So, you know, they're not as stupid or in the dark as you think. Um, obviously, they can't go around saying things about Kim Jong-un. But when you, you hear this, you realize that North Koreans, you know, there's, how can I say it? You know, there's, there's humanity there. People are people, and that's often overlooked in the hysteria about its leader and about nuclear weaponry and so on. So m maybe a good way to put it is like North Korea is, I would say, kind of messed up and it hasn't gotten over like the, some of the atrocious imperialist things that happened to it. And in response to that, it's, you know, it is quite authoritarian in, in many ways and does a lot of quite messed up stuff. But I think the the rhetoric we used to talk about it really dehumanizes the average North Korean person. It forgets that they're a lot, just yeah. normal people. I don't think that the, the people who happen to be born there should suffer the reputation that is probably more deserving to the you know the leadership. Yeah, this stuff about people's wider awareness. This is my own ignorance here, but like, how would people even find out about? Because I've I've like read through um, I don't know how to pronounce it, but like Rodong Sinman, the national newspaper. And oh yes, like that was that was me trying to get to grips with what the general awareness of the rest of the world was, and if that's if that's people's principal source of information, like even just talking about South Korea, they're saying this guy's like a absolute traitor, the head of Korea. It's very full on. It's very emotive. 
when people are have this wider awareness, like how is that actually happening? Where are people finding stuff out? Um, that's a good question. And what you'd be surprised is, is that behind the scenes in the way everyday people live, Rodong Shinmun, the, the newspaper, um, is not the central source of information. Um, it's crucial for everyday people to observe and to follow the patterns of the government's messaging so that they can see where the political boundaries are shifting so they can stay on board. But there's a lot of underhand ways that North Koreans access information. Um, a lot of movies, a lot of DVDs, things like that are often smuggled in from the outside world. For example, um, and a lot of word news comes in and also spreads by word of mouth as well. So they have their ways, um, I will say. And you also uh, are a writer, like a political analyst. What's your other sideline when you're not visit North Korea? Um, yeah, uh, I'm a writer and I write a couple of columns as well. Um, of course, I enjoy writing about politics and current affairs and you know, this all builds into my interest of East Asia and um, North Korea. So, you know, that's been one of my um, my fields because people, you know, want to hear about my knowledge. And I also feel it's important to apply that knowledge um, in ways that can help better change the world and inform people. And and when you're writing about that, are you writing to make East Asian politics discernible to a, a Western audience? Who are you writing for? Yeah, um, it's mostly towards a Western audience. And I want people to be able to understand issues such as North Korea and China from more objective, less hysterical point of view. In a similar way, myth-busting, yeah. It's something we've talked about on the podcast in previous episodes, that there's a sense that the, the West is very much clouded by its own ideology especially western exceptionalism and doesn't have a good handle viewing politics from different cultures especially when they're culturally or racially separated from them china does a lot of things which aren't that far away from what might go on in some of the excesses of america's capitalism machine but it gets reported on in a very different way because it's part of a different continent yeah is that something that you end up coming across a lot in your work absolutely i feel very passionate about um, china i'm a chinese speaker and I've lived in Beijing, in Shanghai, and in Hong Kong. And similar to North Korea, I think China is very misunderstood by the West. And I feel very passionate about out the current situation. And I feel strong disagreement with what people like Donald Trump are, are doing. So I feel a personal urge to speak out about that. And in doing so, I feel I have a great, found a great appreciation from the Chinese people themselves. And I'm gaining a lot of traction amongst Chinese circles on social media. So yeah, I'm, I'm very critical of that. Um, because I don't think it's good for the world or for the global economy and thus forth. Do you have any recommendations for how people could make themselves more aware of what's going on in these parts of the globe? Well, it's a very long process, you know, and unfortunately, you know, what I know, it's come from a lot of learning and a lot of experience, mm -hmm. but I think the experience is crucial, you know, I would obviously say to get out and experience China, to get out and experience North Korea, to be able to talk to the people, but also learn about the history and the culture, but most importantly, try and understand those countries and what I was described as their own terms, that is 
how these countries perceive the world in their context or so, you know, comprehend the Chinese and North Korean worldview. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything. It doesn't mean you have to endorse everything their government does. But you should seek to grasp the fundamental logic and context of which drives events in that particular area of the globe. You know, for example, if you believe the standard American take on Kim Jong-un, it would just make you think that, oh, yeah, Kim Jong-un is just a madman who just wants to build a nuclear bomb to nuke America because it's evil. You know, I would say um, the situation, you know, even if the idea of building nuclear bombs is not correct and not appropriate, you know, the whole mantra behind that is a lot more complex and reasoned um, than you think. And he's probably not going to launch a nuclear bomb at America, but he's building a nuclear deterrent because North Korea's politics is conditioned on the decades-old logic of state survival and the belief that they must avoid domination from other powers, for example. So it's important to understand the internal logic of a country before you rush to any conclusions of it. Yeah. Although I still think that you can still feel the need to unilaterally condemn certain behaviours. Like, if North Korea was discovered to, or as certain people have claimed, like is doing forced labour camps for people who disagree with them politically, I wouldn't think that someone would need to stop themselves from condemning that until they know the full picture. Um, well, as I just said, it doesn't mean you have to agree with those things, sure. but you can understand them in less hysterical line. I mean, it doesn't mean, for example, what I just said that, you know, building nuclear bombs and the threats to global peace and stability that come with it are a good thing. You know? I think what I'm trying to say is that if we understand these things better, we have the mind and the ability to be able to address and approach them more. Um, I mean, as a person, I think my personality is that I don't believe in judging other people too harshly. I like to understand people and um, why they do what they do, even if I, I don't like it, you know, I mean, I would, just because I understand something doesn't mean I'm going to encourage it or approve of it of the right thing to do if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, the way people treat like atrocities in countries far more distant culturally to their own, there's this mindset in the West that um, liberal democracy is the model for what a civilization can be. And if anything happens that's atrocious in a different country or with a different regime, it is seen as it is a natural result of their strangeness or alienness or backwardness whereas when atrocities happened in america it was like oh it was an it was an accident it was a deviation from our norm of usual liberty and freedom for everyone so i get i get what you're saying that context allows you to understand even the worst elements of another country without it being othering to it or without it um without there being some sort of xenophobia attached that naturally follows ignorance yeah of course it's um a demetric logic what i would call Othering, where you see something different to you and thus you exaggerate subconsciously, you exaggerate and span out the differences from that is your, from that which is your own. And obviously there are many things America would do, perhaps on a foreign policy scale, that it would not tolerate, um, from others, you know, 
you know, what is one country's national security is another country's aggression and warfare, you know, for example. Um, so I think it's always important to be level-headed. Obviously, I would not be endorsing North Korea's political system as a model for the rest of the world or for my own country, because obviously that's just ridiculous. You know, you recognize what is wrong and why that doesn't work. But I just always think it is best amongst everything to understand foremost. And then once you find a mutual understanding with someone you may be in antagonistic to or hostile to, the way you interact with each other changes and so you open up and then you find it in yourself to change not only your behavior but theirs as well through example and through being one you know if you've ever heard of Aesop's fable where the sunshine and the wind the sunshine by being one can get the man to take off his jacket or the wind that tries to blow it off by force simply can't and he took he tugs harder. And I think North Korea is like that in many ways, too. You know, the more you try and condemn it and wage belligerence against it, the more it's going to resist and and buckle down because politics works in the under a dictum of security as well. Just like people, if you feel more secure, you're going to be open up and more willing to compromise. But if you feel less secure, you're going to isolate yourself, you're going to buckle down and you're going, you know, you're going to be showing your teeth and growling like a dog in your approach to the world. So that's how I see it. So I guess it's it's not only introducing people to North Korea, but also opening up North Korea, in, even in only a small way, to the rest of the world. Yeah, and I take great pride in doing that. I want to see North Korea open up and be more embracing too. Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. Our main title theme was created by Ella Jean. If you've enjoyed the podcast and want to lend us a hand, then reviews on iTunes and likes and shares on social media are incredibly helpful in helping the podcast grow, flourish, and brandish its mighty face towards the sun. Thank you.